Welcome to Control the Controllables. I'm Dan Kiernan from Soto Tennis Academy in Spain, and we've teamed up with Max Tennis Academy in Ireland. We've brought this podcast together to entertain, educate, and energize the tennis community through the different lenses of the sport that we love. From Grand Slam champions to those at grassroots level, from sports journalists to backroom staff, our aim is truly to get under the bonnet of the tennis world at all levels. So sit back and enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 144 of Control the Controllables. In a country that nearly has 1.5 billion people living in it, why have they not produced more world-class tennis players? We don't have a structure even till today, uh, you know, from the National Federation. So that makes it extremely difficult for anybody from India who, you know, wants to try and make it there. And uh, I think that is something which really needs to change. And uh, I think we need more players involved in associations. I think, you know, Mm. that really kind of helps. And that was the current 42 in the world in doubles, Rohan Bopana. He's been as high as number three in the world back in July of 2013. A Grand Slam champion as he won the 2017 French Open mixed doubles title with Gabby Dabrowski. He was also a finalist in the men's doubles with his great friend and former podcast guest, Sam Qureshi, a semi-finalist at the Olympics. He's made the Nito finals on numerous occasions, making the actual final of that event in 2012 and 2015. He's had a great career. He's still going. He's 41 years old. He's got his own academy in India. He has his own coffee company. He has so many stories to tell. He's a genuine, humble, amazing guy who's going to have a big, big impact on Indian tennis over the next 20, 30 years. Mark my words. And it's a real pleasure to pass over a friend of mine, Rohan Bupana. So Rohan Bupana, a big welcome to Control the Controllables. How are you doing? Thank you, Dan. Thank you for having me. I I know we've been uh, fighting with different time zones and uh, trying to get on this, but really glad I'm finally here and chatting with you. Well, actually, Rohan, I've been I've been avoiding you. You know, you were you were one of my first thoughts, but after and I shared it with you, sharing my two of my last three ever losses on the ATP ITF tour on the singles court came to you. So I, it's taken me all of these years to get you out my head, and here you are confronting me again. So apologies, it's taken too long, but that's why. No, no, no. Thank you, uh, you know, for sharing that uh, picture with me. It's just fond memories. I think when you have uh, wonderful guys, when you travel with, had fun with, uh, outside the tennis court, but also have played uh, alongside with you, which is nice and, you know, really happy that you're doing this and uh, wonderful to be talking to you. And before we get into a, a couple of things and then your story, Rohan, I think one thing that does jump to my mind even as we were talking off air there, it's oh, 16 years coming up, 17 years since I stopped. And, you know, when we go back to those results, we're talking, you must have seen off 
a lot of people throughout of your career. You know, how how does that feel as there's kind of like this constant involvement of players that are that are leaving the game that, that you have spent so much time with over the years? It is extremely sad, to be honest, because you've shared so many wonderful memories with them. You've uh, uh, had close friendships. So, you know, tennis is such a close family. But in the end of the day, we all meet when the tournaments happen. You know, we come from various different parts of the world and we all meet at these tournaments. And suddenly when somebody stops, you definitely miss them. You know, on the tour, yes, you go ahead and you continue your journey, you're playing matches and you're doing their things. But outside those, you know, matches, when you hang out, uh, these are the friends, you know, you shared wonderful times with and, you know, you definitely miss them. And it's, uh, uh, you know, has been over the years that, uh, uh, you know, few people have stopped for various reasons. But, uh, you know, I think that's purely an individual choice on what, on how they decide and what they decide and when to stop or how long they want to keep going. And you you, you talk about the the tight-knit community and, and tennis is, you know, I'm certainly very proud to still be, you know, a, a part of this amazing industry, this amazing community. And and there's 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 a current situation going on in the world within our community with Peng, Peng Shui. You know, everybody that's listening would would have heard about it the WTA now have made a, a big stance an amazing stance you know I think incredible leadership has been shown to to say look this is one of our own she's not being taken care of in the way that we want any human being to be taken care of and and we're gonna make a stance of putting our morals our values in front of any business any money that they have and they for those that haven't heard they've now pulled the plug on tournaments in China for the foreseeable future. Um, are the ATP going to follow suit? And where do you stand on this one? Uh, first of all, Dan, I think it is uh, so sad to see what the situation is. And uh, WTA CEO coming out with that state, uh, statement is such a big positive step. And I think we as a tennis family have to voice this and you know everybody has to come together I and mean, you know i would love to atp to follow suit as well uh, i think it's the right decision what they've done because i don't think anyone needs to be treated the way peng shui has been treated and uh, uh, it's wonderful to see uh, you know wta taking such a big step uh, you know when they almost have i think 10 11 tournaments uh, in China and then pulling out of, uh, you know, the entire calendar from China. I think it really shows uh, they're taking care of the players and they're making sure their safety is the number one priority. And and also uh, the, the, the one thing, again, in line with this, this tennis community and, and I'm full, I'm fully with you and, and our thoughts certainly go with Peng and, and everyone that is involved in this. And, and, and the, the more that we all stick together on this, the quicker we can get to a, a stronger solution. So hats off to, to the WTN. Let's, let's see your card as well, ATP. And maybe by the time this goes out, it's, it's already happened and we hope so. And it'll have an impact. But if we go more now specific, because we talk about the tennis community and we talk about the tennis industry and there is as tight knit as it is in lots of ways, it's also fractured in lots of ways. You know, we have many different organizations 
working together, we're not working together, don't quite seem to be able to, to, to find solid ground. And even if we start breaking that down into the, into the men's game, you know, I know you are a supporter of the movement, the PTPA movement. I guess for someone who's heavily involved in tennis as myself, I don't fully understand that. You know, and it, it, so so for someone that's a little bit closer, what can you share with us, and and why is it that you are a supporter of that movement? Then uh, I think the the biggest thing there is that uh, you know, first of all, we have so many different uh, bodies who are running the sport, you know, and that itself is confusing for players. You know, as us, you know, that that is the hardest part. I think what the PTPA, as far as what I've gained a little knowledge is to really come together to help players. Because I think the ATP, when it was first started, that was the number one goal, number one key to really help players come together and get the best, you know, for the players, uh, you know, when they're playing tournaments and competing at various parts of the world. Uh, I think somewhere something has been lost you know in between communication with the players the tournaments the people running it everything the biggest and the best positive thing will be if we have one body controlling the entire situation and again i think the players are the ones who are you know working day in day out to come out there compete and play at the highest level so i think their priority has to be uh, looked into in a big way and more so I think the lack of communication which is had you know uh, from the ATP to the players I think is that is where a lot of people have been having a little doubts on what is really happening and uh, what actually is going on between tournaments and players and uh, you know the ATP. I think PTPA is trying to bridge that gap and get a better communication but they are still very much uh, in the beginning of uh, this process that, you know, nobody really knows exactly where that is also headed. It is just uh, right now an idea which is there, uh, you know, where the players love to have something really working for them, but yep. it's still, there's a lot of steps uh, to be uh, set in place before I think uh, all the players who have said, they want to go ahead with PTPA to still uh, get in a positive note. And what are the what are the two or three big agenda points, big topics that that has the players feeling unhappy? So if you, if I put you in charge now, you know you're a very smart, intelligent guy. You've been in this sport now for many, many years, many years. And at, at all levels, you know, you've seen, I'm sure, lots of different ATP player councils. You've seen lots of different systems. What are the two or three kind of quick wins that that the players are looking for? I think the number one there, uh, there is communication. I think there's a big gap in the communication with the players and the uh, ATP organizers. And uh, I think... Uh, Apart from them, of course, the prize money, the, uh, the distribution of prize money is another big, big yeah. issue which a lot of the players are having. So these two, I really feel is something which has to be looked into straight away. 
Uh, and what is really happening is, I think, when they come out and talk to the players, uh, there's no clarity on what is happening. You know, they come out on a Zoom call, they say, this is what ATP is doing, this is what the players are doing, this is what tournaments are doing. But just to make it more simple, easy for players to understand, uh, you know, I think that is what is really needed and that is the biggest key which is missing. And is this, sorry, uh, and, and again, people listening are, uh, are not happy that I haven't gone into your into your story yet. They're, they're used to on these podcasts as starting. We will get there. But I think this is a fascinating subject because, again, for those listening, currently, and, and I'm sure you will have the figures on this, what percentage of income that comes in through the ATP is paid out to the players? Uh, I think it is... 14% to uh, the players, 7% to the men, 7% to the women, you know, especially in the Grand Slams and, and everything. And there is a, also in that percentage, I think there is a 83 to 17% singles and double split as well. Right. Okay. So, you know, so there is a, the percentage coming to the players for, from the tournament, it's still very, very low you know, compared to a lot of other sports, uh, uh, you know, which are uh, out there. Because that was one thing that kind of resonated with me when I was, I guess the first reaction is stop your whinging, you're, you're in New York, you're professional tennis players, you know, get on, you're lucky, you know, all these type of things. But when you start to stop and undress it, you know, I, somebody told me that, that the percentage, I think it's in the MBA, it's like maybe 45% or even 50% of the revenue is actually going back to the players, you know, who are, who are ultimately the assets in, in this picture. So I think for, for those listening, I think one of, the, one of the issues that the players are seeing here, which rightfully so, is where is that money going? You know, the money is being generated uh, but the but the players aren't seeing it, and I guess it, at the top end of the game. And I know you're you've been a doubles player for a few years, but and the money's certainly nowhere near the same on the doubles side. But then we just have to go down to the days of me and you playing in Uzbekistan for the winner wins an extra twenty five dollars, you know, and that's that's about it. And that certainly hasn't changed since the day that I was playing. So if it, if there is more money that comes through at the top end, I guess it can start to filter through, and more money can make, more people can make money from the sport as well. Uh, you're absolutely right, Dad. And, and I think uh, what really needs to start is the distribution should start from the bottom and then come to the top. I think if the percentages increase, I think it's where the futures and the challengers level, the real, that is where the money needs to really increase. The, you know, those are the players who are trying to make it to the top level are the ones who are spending the same amount on flights or hotels, for example. Uh, you know, they're also traveling 28, 30, 30 weeks in a year, you know, and uh, it's, it's tough because when you're not making so much money to have a coach traveling with you is added expense. Uh, so, you know, it, it should start from the bottom and then come to the top. And I think that is something which will really make a difference and help tennis, you know, grow in a bigger way. My last question on it, on this subject, the cynical side of me. And if I, 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 a lot of my coaching is now done in the, in that level the challenges, the, the futures side of things. 
does a Novak Djokovic care about someone six or 700 in the world? Are they featuring in those conversations? I think he generally does care, but, uh, you know, about these guys because he understands, you know, what's happening. I don't know if he's as much listening to or hearing, I would say not more listening, uh, hearing from what they are actually there to tell him. Uh, but I, I think he's very much open on if somebody does reach out to him to have a, have a word on that. And I think th- that is something which he's trying to do and really help you know, players, you know, come together and, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Yeah, because I think that's important. I think I think for the people listening to, to these episodes, if they know that arguably the greatest player of, greatest male player of all time is fighting their corner and people like yourself, Rohan, and I think the way that you've said it so beautifully there about it, it coming from the bottom up, you know, in, in, in such a humble way, I, I think that's what the tennis industry needs. And we all we all need these good news stories. We all need to feel like our sport is is growing and that we are valued at all at all levels of the sport. So it's lovely to hear that. And in terms of you, we're talking here, you know, at the at, at big end, you know, someone now. Rohan Bapana, a big, big name in India, uh, a Grand Slam champion, multiple Grand Slam finals, still going strong on the ATP tour. Is that what you dreamt of doing when you first picked up a racket? I definitely dreamt of, you know, playing, uh, you know, at a high level. I think every player out there, when they start and they get better in, uh, you know, as the year's going, they want to achieve the best. But as... I progressed in my career. I think uh, luckily for me, what really worked out was having short-term goals. And every time I, I achieved that, then I got into a new goal and not really thought of something which is way beyond my limit and trying to you know reach that. I thought, let's go step by step, uh, you know, try and make it to the Davis Cup team of India first. And then, okay, let's try and you know, win a challenger title uh, futures challenge. I think we had satellites back then, uh, you know, when we were, when we first started before the futures as well. So it was, you know, taking that step by step. And I think that really kind of, even till today helps me when I'm, you know, playing out there. But if I even take you a step further back than that, because, you know, that when you're thinking of playing futures, you're thinking of playing satellites, you, you're already a good player. You know, you've already got there. So, what? How old were you when you started? Was it was it something that you took to instantly? I'm not sure. I didn't really know much about your junior career either. You know how how were you as a junior? Were you this kind of talent that was always going to be a tennis player? Take me back to those days. So here's a, a interesting story of, of a journey where I started. So right now I live in a city called Bangalore. Uh, I was born here, but I grew up in a small uh, little place called Kurg, which is spelled C-O-O-R-G. It is where the Indian coffee plantation is grown. So I grew up in a coffee plantation. That's been a family business. So in that coffee plantation, there were um, one, including my dad, and there were about I think eight, eight people there who wanted to play tennis, couple of them knew tennis, 
they built a tennis court themselves and they taught each other the tennis. And that's how tennis was started. And I was introduced to it, obviously, when I was, I used to watch the, all the club members playing, but I was introduced to it only at the age of 10. So when I started playing tennis, so, but it was something where there was no coaching, really. My dad just uh, learned himself reading on the book how to hold a racket, everything. So I think that really helped on my serve because I had a continental grip. But on my ground strokes, as the tennis evolved, I still hit a lot of ground strokes very, very flat as unfortunately the early days of my career, I wasn't taught, taught that. Then after a few years, I moved to an academy in Pune. I lived there for about uh, four or five years training with, the best Indian athletes out there. Uh, the coach at that point of time said, unfortunately, we can't afford to give him any scholarship because I was not really a good junior at all. You know, I, I was just a journeyman, just going through tournaments, going with, uh, you know, the uh, all the other academy players, losing first round or qualifying constantly. Uh, you know, I think only because... But I was growing in height. I was getting, you know... Uh, which helped in tennis, being being tall, helped myself. Uh, as I t- turned 18, 19, 20, I started hitting the ball a little bigger, but my consistency was not there. And then I started, uh, you know, working on that. Only at the age of 21, I had a big breakthrough in uh, my tennis career, winning a national title in yeah. India, which got me into the Davis Cup team in 2002, which, and I was already 22 by then. So, you know, it was... Uh, definitely looking at today's uh, world of the way that kids are playing, I don't think I would have continued for this long. At that point of time, I, I said, I, I felt like I was still a freshman coming into these tournaments yeah. because I was raw, hardly played any futures, satellites. So I started playing then the satellites, the futures, and then eventually getting on to the challengers. You know, that was, so that was kind of a journey for me there and and in terms of the because another interesting topic for me Rohan is in had so many different people from different nationalities so many I, I guess yes again tennis is a universal sport but it is done differently and and the federations will approach things and I I always think in life we always think the grass is greener so people are always quite envious of how another federation works. How how does it work on a, a in terms of a national governing body in India? What's the support like for players? How was the support for you when you grew up? Unfortunately, it is absolutely zero. There has really? been zero support. Uh, we don't have a structure even till today. Yeah, uh, you know, from the national federation. So that makes it extremely difficult for anybody from India who, you know, wants to try and make it there. And uh, I think that is something which really needs to change. And uh, I think we need more players involved in associations. I think, you know, Mm. that really kind of helps. Of course, you have uh, these people that the Federation trying to uh, find a way to maybe get better tennis, but they do need, I think, players to help them, you know, understand what is really required. And uh, I'm 41 today and, you know, from the time I've been 
I've started tennis to, till today. We have, I think, very, very similar structure in place. There's nothing really changed so much. And I think that is something which really, really needs to change. Uh, and the Federation needs to come help these players. You know, we have some tremendous talent, tremendous talents coming out of the country. But unfortunately, they don't have too much of help. So then they fizzle out, you know, after they finish their juniors. Because we've had some great junior athletes, uh, you know, coming from the country, doing well in the junior circuit. But today, we don't even have one junior representing in the Grand Slams, which is, I think, really going backwards. At 41 years old, I am the, still the highest ranked athlete in the country. Yes, it's, it's great, but I, to me, it's embarrassing, you know, that... Uh, there is there's nobody there competing, playing at this level, uh, you know. So, so something has to change, and you know, I think uh, th that is where we are lacking as uh, a tennis playing nation. Is there an element, though, Rohan, to play devil's advocate a little bit? Of there's a little bit of natural selection that's happening here as well, because you know, look at you, and you know you. I hope you are, but you certainly should be incredibly proud of the career that you've had and are and sitting here as a 41-year-old a achieving what you've achieved, doing that your way and, and, and doing it through your own personal grit and determination and, and finding a way. Because in tennis, we, we know that it's a sport that will ultimately come down to extreme ownership it, it falls on the player the player has to has to be the one and, and and i guess federations that are throwing money and opportunity at the players maybe those players don't develop those 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 skills those ownership skills those determination the the real drive hunger to do it so maybe there's a balance there between what the Indian Federation's doing or not doing and, and other countries. But it does seem to me there's always been a kind of constant flow of pretty good players that are coming out of out of India and, and the cream tend to rise to the top. I don't know what you think of that. I mean, I definitely agree to a few, few points uh, you're uh, uh, mentioning, Dan, but a country of a billion people where we are and we have about thousand plus academies in the country. Do you really? I, yes, we do. You know, I think we definitely need a coaches program, a quality coaches, you know, to have a program. It is there in place, but it's not something which is looked at to develop these kids. I mean, you know, and I really feel that is where the structure has to be, you know, base, like you said, we've had a handful of players come through the system on their own perseverance or fighting through every system to come there. But with, as a country as big as India, you know, if we follow a similar structure, what we have in cricket, you know, starting from a junior level, having tons of tournaments, going to a national level, and then going into the international level, you know, there itself, it shows having a good structure in place, gives it a good platform to, get to the top level. I mean, uh, for a men's player, for example, there may be one, maybe two challenges in India to, for him to play. 
And yeah. traveling from India, everything is far away. Yeah. You know, uh, coming to Europe is a, a nine, 10 hour flight. Going to the US is, you know, 20 hour flight. I mean, you know, so it's that much more added expense, you know, for a player. So I feel that is where the Federation can come in and really maybe bring in some tournaments, helping these athletes, you know, get better. It, it, the cricket point such an interesting one as well. I mean, I, my only, my only professional singles event that I won was in India. So I have very, very fond memories of, of Mumbai, of the court. They suited me so well, those courts, the quick, the quick courts coming through qualifying. But what, what hit me spending four or five weeks there, cricket is life. You know, and yes. if we, you know, I had a, a, a fantastic guest last week, Keith Reynolds, who is a, a legend of British tennis, has been around for many, many years. And, and he was talking about cultures and he was saying, if you, the, the icebreaker question in England is what's the weather like? The, the icebreaker question in, in the US is what church are you a part of? You know, the, and, and he was saying the icebreaker question in Argentina, in Spain, is what sports club are you a part of? You know, it's so it's so yeah. deeply embedded in the culture. I would imagine the icebreaker question in India is, are you a bowler? Are you a batsman? You know, because it's it's so heavily integrated into the sport. Where does forget structure for one minute? Where does tennis compare to cricket? As, as as a culture within within the nation I would say top three in this in the country okay yeah it is very much uh, up there we have tons and tons of tennis clubs tennis academies you know players playing it uh, you know so that is a you know fantastic thing unfortunately tennis is not shown in India. So that is where we are really suffering. I mean, I'm talking about Grand Slam, ATP. Nothing is shown in India is at the moment. Not? Nothing. I mean, nobody has taken the rights for India. Wow. Unfortunately, which is how do you improve the sport? I mean, you know, like the finals in Turin, nobody, I couldn't watch it. If you didn't have a tennis TV subscription, there was no way you could watch it. Which is, so uh, when I'm, I feel that when I'm playing at these events, you can only inspire young kids, I think, when they see somebody from your own country playing. So, so it's, you know, this, this is where, again, the Federation comes into play saying we have five Indians playing, maybe a challenger, maybe a thing. Yeah. Let, them, let us come together, help them. Let, let us show their matches back at home. Yeah. You know, so I feel... That is the catch-22 situation where you have, yes, you, you are doing it yourself, but the Federation also needs to be part of it to try and help the sport. And are they open to change? Do they have finance behind them? Is there, what's, what's the solution, I guess? You know, I'm, I'm not wishing you to stop playing tennis right now, Rohan. You know, I'm sure you've got your, your time, but you do have your own academy, which we'll get to later. But what could someone like you do? You know, a big name. And then you've got, obviously, Leander, Mahesh. I, I know those two don't necessarily see eye to eye or, or certainly didn't used to. But what can what can you guys do to, to impact that? 
I mean, personally speaking, for me, I've just joined the state federation here in Karnataka, which yeah. is Bangalore's part of that state, and I've uh, just uh, got myself involved with the federation, and we are really trying to bring in a lot more tournaments, grow the junior circuit uh, here, and I feel that is where you know players. I th- I think in there is a lot of money in the state, uh, you know, to help sport because I think sport is getting promoted by the government r- right now. It is just to have a player there to tell them what way they can go about it. Because sometimes when you have that money, you're not sure where to spend it or how to spend it. Uh, you know, so the finances are very much there available, you know, through the government. There is some good uh, corporate sponsors coming in who really want to help out. But it's, again, getting the right uh, idea of how to balance that amount and how to go about it. And, uh, you know, so so far this week, literally, uh, uh, you know, there's an ITF women's tournament going on in Bangalore. It is the first one after the COVID the pandemic rather, I should say, with, uh, you know, everything slowly opening out in India. This is the first tournament, uh, an ITF tournament being held uh, for the women's side here. I can I can picture it now, Rohan. 20 years time, you're sat there, you're in the box. There's an Indian Wimbledon champion. You know, you're the, you're the director of, of Indian tennis and you, you've brought this amazing structure to an amazing country full of, full of fantastic, passionate people. You know, there's so many ingredients there. It just maybe seems like it needs a Rohan Bapana to bring it together. Do you have the heart, the will, the energy to be that guy? Then I think I have it too much. The, the passion is so much that I want to help this sport. And that one thing you mentioned there is 20 years. That is where it's tough, a hard thing to tell the parents that you need time. You need, they think if they join the Ron Bopana Tennis Academy, tomorrow he's going to be playing at the Grand Slam. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so that is where exactly uh, which you know it's a good long hard working process and it is definitely doable i think yeah no absolutely it's a it's a it's a world of instant gratification in a in a sport that doesn't give instant gratification and that's true you know where where we're not in we're not in a sport not in a sport that's going to give us that you know it's a it's a day in day out month in month out year in year out sport where where you might then get some opportunities that the the hard work pays and and I think your career Rohan is 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 a great example of that you know age 30 I believe was your first grand slam final with a, a good friend a good friend of both of ours in in a Sam Qureshi and then your first grand slam title came in 2017 when That's you were right. 37 years old, you know, and, and what a, what an example for people when you first picked up that, that racket age 10 to all of the work, the sacrifice, the investment from yourself and all of the people around you that, that you, because you stuck at it, you were then able to, to pick up that trophy, to have that moment that no one will will take away from you. How, how did that feel after all of those years? Uh, Dan, I think it was definitely the proudest, uh, you know, uh, I felt 
you know, for just from the way, uh, the journey I've come through and I've gone weeks in, weeks out, not knowing where I'm standing, what I'm doing, whether it's I'm doing the right thing, but having the right people around, not only family, but friends also made a huge difference. I think, you know, just to understand the sacrifices you're making, you know, to find the best in yourself and uh, coming from a very, very small town in Kurg, uh, you know, with having zero resources, to, uh, you know, to, to, to be lifting the trophy, you know, in at uh, Roland Garros, I think uh, it was totally, totally special because another beautiful thing is that that kind of clay we don't even have in India. So it took me time to just understand how to play on that particular clay. You know, the, I don't know if you have, when you were in India, if there was a tournament on the clay courts, even the clay used to be so fast. Yeah, you could yeah. easy, easily serve and volley and, uh, you know, play at that kind of surface. So, you know, that was truly a very, very special moment. I mean, not only for me, but I think everyone who's been part of, you know, my journey. Absolutely. And the question I would ask now, and I, I've asked a lot of my guests this, is do you view your career as successful? Absolutely. I do. Good. But the biggest thing that is the perseverance. And that was my next question. How do you define that success? What are your, what are your success measures? Because obviously lifting a trophy absolutely is a, is a big success measure, but what are the other measures of success for you? And right in the beginning, like I said, having those short-term goals and working at a you know, timely manner and moving forward and constantly being at it you know, not worrying about the results. Of course, it's easy to say, but when it, you know, there have been tough times. In 2006, I had a shoulder surgery where I was out for six months. And then you have all these demons in your head, you know, not knowing whether you're even going to be playing or what you're going to do was, you know, I think uh, thankful to me that surgery went off well and everything got better. And, you know, as tennis players, we go through so many different injuries as well, where, Sometimes you're thinking and again, having those right people around you made a big difference. And, uh, you know, those are, I think, uh, a few things which were extremely important uh, for me to keep growing as a player and keep learning. I mean, even till today, I think when I'm playing there, I'm learning so much by just watching or, you know, being on the court and playing. And, and who, you mentioned those people and, family, friends, but who, who's been the most influential person in your tennis career? Uh, I think for the past now 10 years is definitely my wife because uh, for me, somewhere she's my in-house shrink. She's a psychologist. Is so she? I think, yeah, she is. She is oh. a psychologist. So, <laughs> you know, I think so many times it helped me, you know, when I came out of a match, when I was just ranting or you know she would just listen and maybe give me a different perspective nothing to do with tennis but just the way to you know handle the situation or you know when I'm playing with a partner to maybe communicate with this partner in a particular way yeah I think she understood that better and you know that was really something which 
I give a lot of credit to, you know, having her by my side to a lot of success I've had from the age of 30 to 40. So Q, the, the, the tennis players running to, to sports psychologist centers around the world to ask all these girls or boys out, out on dates, uh, because this is the secret. If you can, if you can travel with a sports psychologist, which actually Igor Fiontek, who was training at the Academy before the French open, she travels with a sports psychologist, you know, and, right. yeah. and, and little did we know, we all thought she was the first one to do it. But actually, Rohan Bapan has been doing it for 10 years. That's an unbelievable <laughs> exclusive. <laughs> no, but yeah, it's been uh, fantastic, you know, having family traveling with you and this way, using her knowledge to, you know, my, uh, my advantages, I think, really helped me in a big, big way. And what about the flip side, when you're on holiday or you're back home, are you just spending time with friends and family? Is she analyzing you all the time? Is there a is there a negative to being with a psychologist as well? <laughs> I, I'm sure there is, uh, you know, a few things, and that that's why she said sometimes, uh, you know, I'm the psychologist, and majority I'm the wife. So just <laughs> you can't win the arguments. <laughs> I'm not trying to win the arguments, even though she says I do try a lot, but it never never happens. Well, that's amazing. Uh, it's, it's lovely, and, and I think a lot of that will will also be down to happiness. You know, I think you know once once players, and it's it, and this is again, and and I keep beating this drum, but it doesn't happen overnight. And you've said the same. You're experiencing that at your academy as well. It's not this instant thing. You know, you've maybe taken and I, I think it was a Sam that said it to me as well you know he up until the age of 28 29 even 30 he didn't really feel comfortable in that in that environment and and just finding your happiness in life finding the position where you're comfortable in your own skin takes takes a bit of time but when you get all of those bits bits in place it does have such a positive impact to what happens on the court yeah, absolutely. I think uh, Assam and me have had so much success together. You know, we've been friends for such a long time and our journey kind of took off, you know, obviously, you know, uh, simultaneously. And, uh, you know, I think uh, we are really thankful that we had each other to, you know, understand the sport, grow together and the sport has given us so much, which today we can give back to, you know, the younger generation as well. And what's your biggest regret from your tennis career? I think the one thing I would love to have uh, had or changed would, uh, would have been when I was 10, 12, 14, whatever, to have somebody work on my movement, tennis-specific movements. That's something I think I didn't have. Uh, I really felt... I started that learning only when I was 25, 26, 27. I mean, you know, much later in my career. Uh, and unfortunately, nobody in India knew that. It's mm. not like there was somebody in India who could have taught me that. We didn't have the resources to get somebody from outside to travel with me, unfortunately. And, you know, that is one thing I, I feel would have really made a bigger impact, uh, you know, in my tennis uh, journey. And is that something that you've brought into your academy? 
<laughs> Actually, that's the first thing I brought into my academy was, uh, yeah, we have uh, three strengthened uh, uh, conditioning coaches who are significantly working on these young uh, kids, which I really feel is, is the biggest key difference in the country. Because we all have great hand skills, but the movement skills are not there. And I really feel uh, that is needed. And another thing what I've really brought in is after a personal experience is yoga into the academy. Right, okay. Uh, so during the pandemic, I mean, to give you a little uh, background is I have zero cartilage on my knees. It's fully worn out. So I was in 2019 on painkillers constantly not knowing what was headed and during the pandemic uh, one of my cousins uh, she told me that try this particular yoga called the Iyengar yoga and uh, luckily uh, next to my house there was this uh, place called the practice room which was uh, run by uh, husband and wife uh, and I reached out to them and I said, uh, this is what my situation is. I'd love to come and try some yoga. And they were very obliging and they said, yes, absolutely. Let's try it out. They were eager to also work with me because it was something different. A professional athlete who has right now extreme pain in the knees and to figure out. So I started doing uh, 90 minutes, four times a week of uh, this class. And then to be honest, when I came back onto the, uh, the court, today there are days where I have zero pain, which is incredible. I mean, mm -hmm. so what they've really worked on is strengthening all the muscles around it, which is not taking the load to that particular spot. Yeah. It's not like the cartilage is fixed, of course, but they have really changed it. And what has helped also is working on my posture, working on my breath, working on my mind I think so that is also prolonged a uh, you know couple years of my uh, you know playing career I feel it's 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 a, again finding that at that point in your career as well and and it's and it's such a great example of growth mindset you know always always looking to get those little extra bits which is which is very um, admirable to, to to hear Rohan, and and, and 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 I'm sure everyone in your academy is is going to massively benefit from your experience, and and from everything that you are going to bring to the table. But I guess my question around your academy is why, you know, you, as you're still playing, what's the what's the real purpose? And and what is your what are your I guess philosophy strap lines of of why come to the Rohan Bapana Tennis Academy? The biggest uh, uh, thing then is what I wanted to start while I was playing is because I want to inspire them through myself to say that I'm there with the academy and also connecting and watching all the top players and giving feedback to the coaches of what's really happening on ground talking to the best of coaches, sitting in the locker rooms. I think, as you know, that is when you get the best time, you know, with everyone. You get yeah. you get a good amount of time to talk to them, what is going on, on how they're developing athletes in their academy or, you know, whatever it is. So those are a few things I thought if I, when I'm playing, if I can still have. Uh, 
so I can give back to my coaches who we have really brought in a very significant structure in the academy to one of the biggest thing is where we start uh, in the morning a little bit, a lot of mobility and everything. And any kid who doesn't come up with that cannot play tennis that day. Right. So, you know, we're trying to make sure that they are ready for going ahead tomorrow, whether being on time for their matches, making sure they go well in early in advance, doing the right thing and starting from a young age and not just learning it when they go to bigger tournaments. Yeah. Um, and also the other significant thing is that the coaches are also being coached. We are making sure the coaches are taking a lot of responsibility. They have a set number of students. Each coach have a set number of students. They are responsible for these particular students, whether their growth, the way they are playing tournaments, if they get injured to the progress and to talk to the parents. So we're trying to bring a complete holistic Yep. approach to the academy and I feel that is uh, that is probably something which we need to start before looking at them to becoming good players good athletes and having a chance to do well and and how many how many players do you have how many players are you guys looking after at the academy uh, so right now we have uh, seven tennis courts uh, yep. uh, and we have about 71 athletes 71 yep. uh, tennis players uh, it's a first of its kind in India. This, it's called the sports school. Yeah. So it uh, has uh, boarding, lodging, education, and tennis, everything under one roof. The education and the uh, uh, boarding, lodging part is optional. Uh, you know, it's, uh, we are giving, we giving that, uh, you know, to the kids so that, uh, because in India, a lot of, lot of parents always say, okay, they want to play tennis, but we need education at the same time. What can we do? So we try to figure out what and how we can really help these kids. Uh, so there's uh, in um, Bangalore, there's this uh, Jane group of international, uh, uh, which has schools. And the chairman of that school really believes in sport. He really wants to help in sport. So he said he'll be happy to do the education there. And uh, that is the biggest significant difference we have uh, in the academy is that we have everything in one center. We don't have to travel because yep. all uh, in India, traveling with the traffic and everything is, is difficult. So, you know, even for the parents, maybe, and not, it's not only a place which has tennis, it has cricket, it has football, it has basketball, yep. it has badminton. So for a parent, maybe having uh, two kids or more and playing different sports, also it's a great uh, you know, place to come in and get them enrolled. Well, you, you talk about the traffic in India. We've had a little bit of authentic India in the background as this as this podcast has been going on with the honking of the horns. I keep on hearing a couple of vehicles, and that I mean that blew my mind. I remember when I when I first landed, and I was like, you know, RJ Ramaswamy was there to pick me up a, a good friend of, of both of ours. And uh, as we, as we took off on this journey, I realized there's no such thing as lanes in certainly, <laughs> certainly not in Mumbai. And I, and I also learned that everybody has a horn that works. <laughs> I, 
you know, the horn which you're hearing right now actually is uh, a, a, a railway track, which is just pretty close by. It's a oh, is it? Is <laughs> yeah. it? Is it? <laughs> but but uh, yeah, uh, you know, when you say you came to Mumbai and you didn't see this, everybody following lanes and so much. For me to tell you that is Bombay is one of the best cities which follows traffic. <laughs> it's um, it's unbelievable. I mean, I was I was like, I, there's no way I want to drive here. You know, if you've driven, if you can drive in India, coming to Europe must be must be a piece of cake. Yeah, no, absolutely. When I drive in Europe or US, you know, some days, especially in the US, when I'm driving and I put it on cruise control, yeah. I, literally uh, two days ago, I was telling my wife. You know, all the cars have this cruise control button in, uh, you know, in India. But I don't, it's impossible to set it up. It's impossible. I mean, so, so, you know, I, I, I don't even know why they even have it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's, 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 it's not, it's not going to work at all, is it? And in terms of, I'm going to take you back to the very start. You were brought up picking coffee, growing coffee. And, and that's also another big interest of yours. The, the flying squirrel, yeah, which I've seen, you know, I, I saw coming up on my Facebook and uh, a few years ago. And then as I was looking up for a few things before we had our chat, I, I know you, but there's certain details that I didn't. I, I, I did find out that that was one of your one of your first first passions. And I guess to link that, tell me a little bit about it, but to link, how was that complemented? Uh, your your tennis career if it if it has in any way the biggest thing is that the coffee was there before my tennis okay yeah so you know that that is something which i grew up around i got to know more about coffee especially from literally growing it and today yeah. to uh, you know now from drinking it and then coming up with my own beans uh, the flying squirrel company was a family friend who started it um so I approached him and I said, okay, I have some uh, beans for my estate. I want to come up with my own blend. So we got together and created this uh, own blend from uh, my end. Uh, now the company actually, we've changed the name. We've called it the Maverick and Farmer. Uh, that's what it is called. And uh, Why? Give us, the, give us the name story. You know, just just some uh, internal changes which had to be done. So you know, hence we uh, the flying squirrel is there, but then just for the growth and to do different structures in place, we had to do a few changes, and so hence the uh, name name had to be changed. But how did you pick the name? I always find this interesting. I, I mean, it, it it is just you know because of the fact being a farmer coming from Coop. Yeah, uh, you know that's what it is, and uh, you know one one of uh, my friends who st- who started the company, and he told uh, he said, uh, "Okay, well, this Maverick sounds good." So I said, "Are you watching Top Gun?" Yeah. So he said, "He said, what do you mean? Are you watching Top Gun?" So I said, "I, I know only Maverick <laughs> from you know from from watching Top Gun, and uh, you know so no, he he had this name which he really liked and everything, and he wanted to bring the farm." aspect to it and you know that's how you know nice. they came up with the name uh but the coffee i there was at one point of time i was because on the tennis circuit everybody has coffee yeah, everybody everyone. loves their coffee i mean yeah. you know where that is so i actually bought a lot of beans gave it to a lot of players uh you know which was surprisingly uh the first thing what everybody asked was 
India coffee, these don't go together because nobody really kind of knew India had coffee. The first yeah. thing was always tea, India related yeah. to tea, but not so much coffee. And uh, uh, pleasantly surprised that everybody loved the beans, which was really nice. And uh, uh, I'm still trying to find a way where I can uh, maybe have my coffee in one of the tournaments, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, because now it's gone to a stage that sometimes there's some bad coffee and if I happen to be around, they just look at me and say, Ron, bad coffee. So I'm like, <laughs> what am I supposed to do? <laughs> You're the coffee guy now, huh? It is. It has actually become like that, uh, you know, which is nice. And uh, in also uh, to the fact that Indian coffee is little uh, more known now to the through the tennis world, at least. And, but, uh, and on my second point to that question, I guess to explain a little bit more, you've lived a large portion of your life on, on the ATP tour, ITF ATP tour, you know, 20 plus years, you know, and to be able to do that and not combine your life, life has to also go on. You know, sometimes I think tennis can just take over our world, but there is other parts to our life socially. You know, you've, you've got your wife now, who I'm sure tra travels with you and, you know, you've got, you've got that side, but, but having then this other interest, it, has that almost helped put a bit of perspective, uh, helped have your mind taken elsewhere rather than, thinking about that second serve return that you missed on break point in the at the end of the at the end of the second set which traditionally can take over the mind of tennis players i think a little bit if we've got nothing else but tennis it, it we just kind of mull over that one shot that that what could have been has having that other interest in developing the academy and developing the coffee business helped your mind in that way 200% it has helped, uh, Dan, and I think it really uh, relaxes your mind. Uh, you know, having friends who are not part of the tennis world, yeah. I think, uh, kind of uh, gave that a new perspective before the coffee or the academy. Uh, I also invested in a bar back in 2010. Yeah, so that was just so random that... Uh, Do they sell your coffee? <laughs> the coffee, no, no, the bar is shut now. It's been 10 oh, years. We ran it for 10 years and we <laughs> shut it down. But that was something fun. Uh, you know, every time I was in Bangalore, I was there, you know, meeting all my friends. It was something very different, relaxed my mind. When I came on the tennis court, I think that helped me play better as well. You're not really, like exactly what you said, 24-7 just thinking about tennis and sometimes which can be extremely difficult when your tennis is not going well. When your tennis is going well, it's much easier to keep that mind uh, relaxed and play well. But the, when you're at, most of the time, it's, it's hard times out there. And that's when the mind needs to relax. And, you know, and then uh, uh, we have a two and a half year old uh, daughter. So that is something which is definitely, you know, takes my mind off everything and uh, uh, really, you know, relaxes me a lot. Okay, I'm making notes here. So, 2010, you you haven't you haven't won a Grand Slam. You've done okay, but you've not won a Grand Slam. You then marry a psychologist. You open up a bar, <laughs> and then you go on to make three Grand Slam finals. 
you you make the semi-finals at the Olympics, you make the the Nito end of year ATP at two finals. I mean, I'm trying to teach people here how to have better forehands and backhands, but <laughs> go out, have a bar that you can go and enjoy having a few beers with your mates and marry a psychologist. I think we found the answers. Yeah, absolutely. To have some entrepreneurship going on the side and, you know, that will really help the tennis, I think. And that's, I'm glad you brought it out because I think this is what I need to bring out in my academy as well. Get the yoga. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. My my last question before we go to the quick fire round, round, Rohan, and it's such a pleasure and so lovely to reconnect with you. But you, you have lots of things going, you know, you've got, with the academy, the coffee business, obviously you're still playing. And, and after traveling for so long, uh, when, when, when finally the door does close on your playing career, whenever that may be, you know, you've got a young family, you've got these things. You absolutely hit me as someone, one, from personally knowing you, two, from watching and supporting from afar, and three, sitting in front of you today. The, the world's your oyster. You know, you you have a lot of things going for you. You're incredibly personable. You know, you're you're smart. You're switched on. So so, what is your your mission, your your impact, and what is going to be your biggest impact on this world? Because something tells me, as good as your playing career has been, something tells me when we look back in 30, 40, 50 years time, it won't necessarily be the playing that will have the impact. It'll be what you do over the next 30, 40 years. So what's that going to be? Uh, then, first of all, thank you so much for those wonderful things, uh, uh, you know, uh, you said. And uh, I think it'll be to change Indian tennis. I think that is something uh, I really believe in. I really want to help the, all these young athletes. And I, I have a big passion for it and I have a big commitment to uh, uh, you know, to guide these players in the right direction. And uh, uh, even at the academy today, we have almost, uh, I think, uh, close to $200,000 worth of scholarship we have given. And I think that is something I really feel is necessary in India to, you know, help out. And that is where my passion is. And I think that is something where I will help in a big way. Well, I, I have no doubts that you're going to do it, Rohan. You know, anything you ever need over here in Spain, you know, we're also here to support. So our quick fire round, are you ready? I don't know. It's, it's quick. See. It's quick. Whatever comes to your mind. If afterwards you're not happy with an answer or you're not happy <laughs> with a question, don't worry. We'll edit it out for a small fee of, of coffee beans. Perfect. Uh, <laughs> ATP Cup or Davis Cup? Davis Cup. I know it's supposed to be quick fire. What the hell are they doing to the Davis Cup right now? But at least it's better than what they're doing with the ATP Cup. Yeah. At least you're competing as a country. ATP Cup, you only if you're top 50 in the world, you can compete. Yeah. But why? What's your thoughts on the changes that are happening with the Davis Cup? No, I think it's a extremely bad i don't think it should be like that because having davis cup playing a home and away tie is the beauty of that of that particular game of that you know that is what i have 
had for past 20 years you know of fantastic experiences not only playing at home but playing away from uh, you know home also uh, you know so i think i hope they go back to that format because uh, you know that truly is something special i don't think there's a tennis person out there that won't say the same thing correct clay or hard courts hard courts mixed doubles or men's doubles men's doubles Roger or Rafa? Uh, Roger. Dennis or Felix? Uh, Dennis. Serena or Venus? Uh, Serena. Leander or Mahesh? Mahesh. Forehand or backhand? Forehand. Serve or return? Serve. Medical timeout or not? Not. Let's or no let's? Let's. Toilet break rule. I don't use it. <laughs> what what's one rule change you would have in tennis? Doubles ranking only for doubles players. Yes, doubles guys sticking <laughs> together. But it's true. Like, I mean, look, I don't profess to be anything that you were, but as I was like 140, 150 and struggling big time financially, I was thinking, get to 130, get to 120, you're going to start getting in grand slams. And then they changed the rules. And then it was like, yeah. oh my. And it was yeah, like, geez, exactly. how am I going to now keep going for, for that much longer? No, I know it's extremely difficult, you know, because at the end of the day, you don't, it's for the singles players, it's just a second event for them. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's very different, very, the way they play it, uh, you know, of course, uh, sometimes they're committed to it. Then, yes, absolutely understand, but. Sometimes when they're not committed, they're just, you know, playing so loosely. It's, it, it's difficult. Last question. Who should be our next guest on Control the Controllables? Uh, Dennis Shapovala. Have you got the hookup? Because you can't be saying these things without <laughs> making it come true. You know, this is, this is part of the contract, Rohan. You've, that you've signed to coming on. Are you? Uh, do you have the hookup? You know, I I, I thought you were just wanted to uh, you know everyone to know who's who's coming up next. I mean, the hookups from you after you, you're the expert on this on this uh, you know podcast. You you get you get the message sent, and I and I'll make the interview happen. I'm sure I'm sure the listeners would love to hear from Dennis. You know, bright, bright prospect in the game. So, so that would be brilliant. I'll be hounding you over the next couple of weeks to to get in touch with him, Rohan. It's it's really lovely. If if no one listens to this, that's okay because for me to to have the time to just sit and chat and you know just find out a little bit more about about your life and and in your career and the way that you're thinking is is a real privilege. So, thank you so much for your time. Then thank you so much for, you know, having me. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And, uh, you know, even though we are, uh, you know, getting to meet on uh, Zoom, but I'm glad we connected. And, uh, you know, hopefully when I come to Spain, I can come over to your academy and, uh, you know, see how everything's going and, uh, you know, maybe hit with a few of the kids there. Yeah, it's, a, it's, an, it's an open invite. Thank you so much. Thanks, Rohan. Such a pleasure to have Rohan on the show. As I joked at the start, I've kept him off the show for a little while. 
seeing as he did give me two of my last three ever professional tennis singles losses. What I didn't mention, but I can now that he's not in front of me. I actually played him once in doubles, him and Sam Qureshi, myself and David Sherwood. I'm sorry, Rohan, but we won 7-5 in the third set at Manchester Challenger. But that was many a moon ago. That was 17, 18 years ago. And here I am recording in my son's bedroom a podcast as he is still going strong on the tour. So we know who ended up going the furthest in this game. And I tip my hat. I tip my hat to Rohan. I tip my hat to these guys that continue for so long, that have the longevity to be out there. And, and it really hits me that amazing ability to to just manage to somehow live normal life whilst traveling the world 30, 35 weeks a year. He seems really happy, seems very at ease in himself, you know, having that passion that he's driving forward with the Rohan Bapana Academy in India and hearing his passion for Indian tennis. I have no doubts that they're going to be very lucky to have him over the, over the next few years. And it's exactly what federations need. It needs passion. It needs people that have been around the game. And that's for any, any federation in any country, somebody that really has experienced all levels of, of the game. He's then, what a great lesson as well. He's been running his own coffee company. The fact that it takes your mind away. And I know we touched on it, but I think that's a big message to anybody listening that's played. I'm certainly guilty of it as a player and as a coach that those losses can hurt. Then those are the things that then prevent us from being able to get up, go again, and and, and being able to have so many other distractions, having his businesses, his wife traveling. I found that brilliant that his wife's a psychologist, but I, but how, how lucky in one regard is that? And the fact that he's humble enough to take that advice from his wife, but it makes it makes a big, big difference. And now he's got his little two and a half year old. And, and it just, I know we don't know what goes on in everyone's life, but it just seems to me that he's done a great job of keeping that balance, that elusive balance that we all do fight for in whatever we're doing. But it, it's it's extremely, extremely difficult. So I'm sure you took a lot from his positive mindset. All of his stories have to shout out the fact that he really wasn't a great junior. He didn't do a whole lot of juniors. This is a long journey, folks. It's a long old journey. There's lots of ways to go in this journey and for us to get that, that other message that there's another player that wasn't the bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, kid that everyone picked out from a very, very young age. And that was great to see. I like that he opened up and I'm sure people will have their their own thoughts. But Peng Shui, you know, how can we not mention what is happening in China right now since, and I'm recording this only an hour after I spoke to Rohan. And since then, I've seen the ATP have come out with not a very good statement, basically, we're not going to do anything about it. We're going to make a statement because we feel the pressure. But come on, tennis community. You know, this is this is one of our own. You know, what is happening over there is, is not acceptable. The truth needs to come out and we need to know what is happening to Peng Shui. <clears throat> well done to the WTA for stepping up. 
well done for them making a big, big statement that will absolutely send shockwaves uh, around the world that they're able to put these things first. So well done. And I just really hope the ATP joins suit and, and we continue as a tennis industry to, to bring Peng Shui to the forefront. Let's not allow this to just fizzle out. I know that this isn't the biggest platform in the world, but hopefully people listening, it just keeps it going and, and gets people to tweet about it, put it on social media. Let's let's demand some answers. The PTPA, he's a supporter, but I think it's very, very clear over a year on since the big announcement, they're a long way from being in a position to actually make a difference right now. You know, I think the ideas are right, but the, the agenda is not clear. The points aren't clear. As with anything, if you're not clear in the path that you're going, it's very difficult. They've taken a step, but I do think they have to be a little bit careful that this doesn't fizzle out. Uh, but if someone like a Rohana Bapana is behind it, he's obviously happy with what he's heard. He's a very fair guy. I love that he said we need to build it from the bottom up and all of you aspiring tennis players out there that are struggling, you're struggling to make ends meet. It's nice to know that some of these guys are fighting your corner. And I think that's, that's really important. And then the last one, we touched on it in the quick fire round, the Davis Cup. Tell me one person in the world of tennis that is happy with what's happening in the Davis Cup right now. You know, crazy, crazy scenes that this is what they're doing. You know, I know there's still talk about the finals going to Abu Dhabi and who's going to be there. It's going to feel like an exhibition tournament and all the teams will still get fired up. But come on, anyone that saw Feliciano Lopez play an incredible match against Andre Rublev a few days ago, the Spanish crowd, the, the feeling of the home crowd, like Rohan said, Going against the home crowd as the away team, you know, it's very special to have that in our sport. And I think we have to really, really protect that. And he, he tackled those topics. He speaks very well. I see him as being someone that in Indian tennis, but also maybe world tennis is going to play a big role over the next, over the next few years, because I bet you there's not anybody that doesn't like, doesn't listen to, to Rohan Bopana. I could keep going. Uh, but I'm not going to because, yeah, you must be sick of me by now. But I, I as always, thank you all for, for your support. Thank you for our ratings, our reviews. It's Christmas time. It's the Christmas spirit. Get yourself onto Apple. Give us a little, give us a little review. Tell us about your favorite episodes to date. And our promise to you is we will continue to try and deliver on our promise. I hope Rohan can come up with the goods with Denis Shapovalov. Uh, he's certainly going to reach out to him. So let's see if he might come to us in the new year as lots more exciting names will do. We'll have one or two more episodes before Christmas. We're going to be bringing to you our review of the year. So many learning, so many take takeaways from these incredible guests. This is your podcast. You are the guys that listen. Thank you so much. Until next time, I'm Dan Kiernan and we are Control the Controllables.